when do we return to those 2019 levels? And from our analysis, it doesn't look like we will return to those levels until toward the end of 2021 or 2022. So what we're seeing really is almost two years, this year and next year, being at output and economy levels below what they were in 2019. So what I say really is we are underwater. We are below the levels of output that what we had just, you know, not even a year ago. Connect, influence, optimize. You're listening to The Channel Channel, a podcast for executives and others involved in the authorized sale of electronic components. Brought to you by the ECIA, the Electronic Component Industry Association. Working to promote and improve the authorized distribution channel. Welcome to the Channel Channel. My name is Dale Ford. I am Chief Analyst with the Electronic Components Industry Association, ECIA. I'm very pleased today to be joined by Tom Runowicz from IHS Market. Tom is going to take time today and visit with me about the economy. The economy is very critical for um, all of our members and what's taking place in these unusual times we're going through. And Tom brings a great wealth of experience to address some of the key challenges we're facing. Tom is a senior principal economist for the U.S. and World Industry Service at IHS Market. In that role, he's responsible for projections about the U.S. and the Canada industrial economy, uh, including special aspects about output, prices, revenues, costs, wages, productivity, and product profit margins. He also authors sections in the uh, IHS U.S. Economic Industry Analysis and the Pricing and Purchasing Service publications. Additional responsibilities that Tom has include product line forecasting and consulting for clients that include many of the Fortune 500 and national trade associations like ECIA. He has over 30 years of experience in the economic forecasting and consulting industries. So we are very pleased to have Tom join us today to share his insights and expertise with us uh, as we discuss the current status and the, the outlook for our economy. Welcome, Tom. Uh, thank you, Dale. Just to set the story straight, I am one of about 3,500 analysts and specialists within IHS market looking at very aspects, various aspects of industries and markets and countries. I focus primarily on the U.S. economy and within that what we call U.S. industry. So we do a bottom-up approach, looking at various industries and getting a top-line number. So we get a great deal of detail and information on all the different aspects and sectors and industries within the U.S. I do rely on a lot of information and a wealth of information within our organization. Uh, for example, in the auto industry, uh, we have a whole team of people that look at specific auto platforms and provide numbers within that. I use their information. I use information in chemicals and energy and construction. So I am really a relier on a big, broad spectrum of information throughout our con company overall, whose people's full-time job is to look at that information. And I kind of assemble that and compile that into an overall US perspective. So that's how the platform is sent overall. 
that we have when we look at this from a bottom-up approach within the, the U.S. industrial markets. Yeah, yeah, there's a great breadth and depth of, uh, of um, knowledge that you're able to build on as part of the um, IHS market organization. It's really powerful, I agree. Well, great. Well, one question that uh, we ask uh, traditionally to all of our first-time guests on the channel channel is for you to share with us what is your favorite word? <laughs> oh my. <laughs> that is a that is that would prove me for a loop. My favorite word. Oh my. Oh. I would say smooth. 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 There we go. <laughs> the idea All of right. smooth, you think of calmingness, especially now in an environment that we have that is, you know, such, you know, so extreme in terms of employment and so extreme in terms of the information that we're getting. And to me, smooth always portrays an idea of calmness or kind of like being in the moment. And I think smooth, I would always refer to maybe people always say smooth as a baby's bottom or smooth as silk or something, and it does right. give you a nice feeling of reassurance and calming. I just pulled that out and pulled, a, pulled that out right now. It's totally inspired, so. Great, how does that great. Sound? great. You need that well, now in this type of environment. Now we've got creative juices flowing. <laughs> <laughs> great, well, let's jump into something that's maybe not so smooth now, <laughs> and, uh, and chat a little bit about the economy. IHS Market just recently released um, your updated economic forecast for 2020 and beyond. And in this latest update, um, it's, a, it's a very sobering update. We now have you forecasting that real global GDP will fall 5.5% for the calendar year 2020. The prior forecast, the press release, had the economy falling, falling into global recession this year, but still growing at 0.7% globally. So this is a significant downward revision. And in addition, it's quite frightening. A, a few things here. One of the statements in, this, uh, in the press release was that the global economy is in the midst of the worst downturn since the 1930s. <laughs> um, and there are three factors that leads to your outlook for a slow recovery. Maybe you could describe these factors, you know, and elaborate a little bit on why um, you see a slow recovery rather than a V-shaped or L-shaped <laughs> outcome. Yeah, in fact, that's, that's very interesting. And I think most people would anticipate that. And there's a number of factors in yes, definitely. Uh, first factor is that we really look for, for the infections really to peak this summer sometime, probably, preferably late summer, maybe even going into early fall. Okay. We also look that a vaccine will not be ready, even though that may be discovered in labs, it has to be readily available on the market and be able to be available for people. And we really don't anticipate a vaccine being available for people and being useful until really late 2021 or 22, early 22. So we have a long time frame yet to look at it, all right? And even though we're seeing lockdowns, okay, starting 
to end and the opening of many economies, there is still a great deal of caution amongst people, especially with respect to shopping, going into stores, uh, going into restaurants. Many restaurants in many states still only have takeout, okay? Or if there's restaurants, maybe capacity is only at, allowed to be at 50%. And there'll be many people also being very leery of going into tight spaces, into restaurants too. So in that respect, you are not getting the full potential from that whole business. And look at the sports and major gatherings, whether you have stadiums, whether you have the baseball season, even football season, even though they may open up and you may get people in some stands, there are going to be many people still very leery of being that crowded in a space. So until we are reassured that infections will not occur between one another, we are going to be moving at a slower pace just because we are not confident enough that, you know, that, that infections are going to be eliminated. So in that respect, we see a slow growth. Initially, people are right now, they're, they're very, they've been claustrophobic, they have cabin fever, they want to open up the economies and you see this expansion, this excitement, especially in the news going on now. But as this kind of wanes, and if we do get any kind of second wave or a little bit of a hot spot in various areas, you're going to start to see a slowing down maybe in some of this outpouring of the economy or opening up of the economy. So it will be a slow growth. And remember, we've had a lot of unemployed and we've had over 36 million people applying for unemployment, especially in the United States. They're not all going to come back. There's a lot of jobs and a lot of businesses that are not going to be back in business, even if the economy fully opens to its full aspect. So even in terms of job growth, even though we may start to see increases and we do anticipate to see increases in employment, there definitely is a lot of jobs lost and they're all not gonna come back until we really feel comfortable within the next couple of years. Yeah, you know, one thing on the V-shaped recovery in the, in the press release that went out, we say that there's not a V-shaped recovery, but looking at, a recovery in terms of growth rates and the figure that's in that press release after the steep drop this year in growth, there does seem to be a strong increase in growth next year. Yet we talk about, you know, the, the expectation that this is a slow recovery. So maybe you can explain to us what, how to view that properly when we say slow recovery, because looking at the figure and growth rates, it looks like a V-shaped recovery. Absolutely, sure. I'll give you a prime example. For the economy right now, we're looking for a decline of over 7% this year. Okay. Next year, in a recovery, we're looking at over close to 5%. Okay. So when you look at a minus 7 to a minus to a positive 5, when you look at that on an annual rate, it definitely looks like, wow, you have a big trough and you have a very stark, sharp increase. And it seems like a V and that's at a growth rate basis, but that really gives you kind of um, a, too much of a rosy perspective. What you really have to look at or in terms of the economy or in terms of levels, how we are on a level or an, what we call GDP or an output level compared to what we were before this pandemic. So what you do is you benchmark yourself in 2019 levels in terms of dollars. Okay, that's before this whole pandemic and before this whole crisis started. 
when do we return to those 2019 levels? And from our analysis, it doesn't look like we will return to those levels until toward the end of 2021 or 2022. So what we're seeing really is almost two years, this year and next year, being at output and economy levels below what they were in 2019. So what I say really is we are underwater. We are below the levels of output that what we had just, you know, not even a year ago, what we are in, in 2019. So in that respect is we are seeing two years of trying to catch up to what we were before. And that really shows you that it's kind of more of a U shape, that this is gonna be a slow return and it's gonna be definitely feel long for many people. And in terms of sales to many companies, in terms of production on, on manufacturing lines, in terms of consumption numbers, in terms of transportation, in terms of many aspects of the economy, we are not gonna be at these levels what we were in 2019 until maybe two years from now, a year and a half from now, if you look at it really. Early part of 2022 is really what we're looking at. Okay, okay. Now, specifically for our audience, electronics, components, industry association, manufacturers, distributors of components, there's a sentence in the press release that's very important. It says, quote, a tidal wave of bankruptcies among small and large industries will make restarting the manufacturing sector more challenging than in typical recoveries. Uh, can you discuss which areas of manufacturing are, are the most vulnerable? You know, how do you think our manufacturing economy is going to be reshaped when we emerge from this crisis? Yes, in fact, there are many what we call local shops that are in manufacturing. I mean, everybody, when they think of manufacturing, they think of, for example, Ford, GM, major companies, Boeing, that are huge assembly lines and all. But within the supply chain, there are many manufacturers, uh, metal cutting manufacturers, uh, plastic manufacturers that, that mold and shape, particularly plastics design that feed into these larger, larger assembly plants. Uh, whether you cut gears, whether you have fabricated metals, there are many, I would say not mom and pop, but fairly small to medium-sized businesses that, that have sales within, you know, the, the millions, small, lower millions, five to 10 million, maybe million to five million or so on. And they supply a tremendous amount of manufacturing within the United States as feeder industry, supplier to the larger manufacturers too. So what you do is to survive these two years of underwater, you really need some deep pockets. And many of these industries, you really wonder if they are gonna be able to survive this, this tightening that we're seeing. I mean, businesses start to see improvements, but like I said before, just earlier, levels and sales that they experienced in 2019, they are not likely to see until, you know, 2022. So it is going to be a long road, tough to come back. And really how it, it's the financial aspect of it. How deep are their pockets? How much can they weather the storm going on through this? What this pandemic has taught us is so much 
not only the aspect of the initial outbreak and the safety concerns on production lines and manufacturing from people that we experience now in the spring, but the bigger aspect of it is what I call the economic hangover that continues on from the unemployment, from a reduced amount of investment and a reduced amount of equipment that's being bought and needed to run the economy. And on, on top of that, we're going to see a big drawdown in inventories. We, we see a fairly high amount of inventories going into this before this pandemic. Now we're going to see a huge drawdown. And when you have a drawdown in inventories, you don't need the production numbers to supply that. So there are all aspects of it that they are going to be weathering. It's, it's going to be a tough storm for any of these medium and small sized manufacturing companies. And I, I hope they, they, they make it through financially because they are some of the backbones of, of our, our economy. Right, right. Well, talking about them, you know, there have been various government stimulus programs. There's these trillion dollar programs, including some that have targeted small businesses like the uh, economic injury disaster loan, the paycheck protection plans, the idle PPP loans. Um, and other programs, you know, they've done a lot to, to bolster industries like the airline industry and whatnot to help them. Do you see that any of these government stimulus programs have been, have really benefited the manufacturing sector at all? They've helped a little bit, but it's not enough. A uh, couple of factors. The, the only real way this manufacturing sector is, is going to succeed is what I call demand pull. The economy finally gets on its feet gets some legs and starts pulling the demand and the products necessary that you need to, to have this growth. And that was not liable to not occur really until, you know, after this pandemic ends or close to ending and people feel more secure. The issue is, is too, is this is only, you know, a Band-Aid, you know, these loans and you saw, in fact, in the news, there was a, a big response in terms of the alone and how fast it disappeared, how fast it went out. There's a lot of people in need of this and still it's not enough. So there has to be continuing support from the government really to help if we want to help these small, small to medium-sized industries succeed. Because like they don't have the deep financial pockets that a lot of the major, you know, major manufacturers have. So it will be a tough road. It's helped some, but it will be a not enough to make it all the way through this whole pandemic to make sure that we are, they are successful. So when we come out on the other end, the survivors, so to speak, do you think that they are weakened as we come out the other end with the overhang of debt and things, or, you know, having survived this, do they come out stronger on the other end? Well, what? they, they will survive, but they, they have, they've had their bell rung. <laughs> And as I guess is a boxing term. I mean, they've, they've been, they got clobbered in the head and they're seeing scars. And when you get that, you may survive and you may be able to walk around, but you're getting a bit dizzy. And they are, it's going to take a while for them to recover from this. And then even okay. in the fact, if we do end up, you know, in our full potential of growing the economy at, at, at full, full bore by 2021, backside of 2021 and the 2022, it may take years before they feel financially stable enough beyond that, financially stable enough that they've re fully recovered from this. Remember what happened in 2008, 2009. Many industries 
took five, six years before they felt that they were financially secure enough to what they were before that downturn. And this may happen the same way, all right? Even though they're surviving, they may not feel like what they had before this, the pandemic. It, yeah. In terms of financial books, in terms of their strength, in terms of their credit rating, in terms of hiring the number of employees back, in terms of feeling that secure as they did before. It's going to be a while. So what, you know, as we try to manage through this crisis and survive, what economic factors and indicators should, you know, executives at companies watch for and monitor uh, at this time? Oh, good. I was anticipating this question. And then there's a few, there's a hit list of a lot of good things. <laughs> there's a wealth of information out there that you can grab, actually. And it's free. If it's free, it's for me. And it's, it's, really, it, it, it's really excellent. First of all, I would recommend, of course, and I think a lot of the news reports this anyway, is the economic re employment report that comes out the first Friday of the month, every month. And it gives you an indication of what happened the previous month. So the first Friday in May, uh, was, it, was it May 1st? I think it was maybe the second. If it's the first, sometimes it's the second Friday. But uh, there's one coming out next week for, for what happened in the month of May, in the first Friday in June. And it gives you what employment numbers, and it breaks it down between construction, uh, manufacturing, what type of services and everything else. And it kind of, kind of gives you an idea of what's going on with employment overall. And those jobs numbers and everything else gives you a nice stability. The second one, especially in manufacturing, and if you Google this, it's the Federal Reserve G17 report. And it gives you an idea of what industrial production, and it breaks it down by, by de fairly detailed industry, uh, looking at different types of machinery, looks like the different types of electronics. Federal Reserve G17 report, it comes out just about mid-month, every month, right around the 15th. If you Google it, they'll announce when they come out. But for example, we will have in May 15th, we had information about industrial production and output for April. So it kind of gives you almost a real time aspect of volume and idea of what manufacturing is being produced. And it gives you on an index, so it gives you a percent change, whether how much we're contracting and how much we're, we're expanding or gives you that good perspective. It breaks it down between three major perspectives, industrial production, manufacturing in, in fairly good detail, mining, which also includes the energy sector, coal, as well as oil and gas extraction, and gets down into the metals and what I call stones and rocks and non-metallic mineral products and so on. And it breaks it into utilities too. So this G17 report comes out every month from the Federal Reserve, excellent monthly information, almost real-time information in terms of what production is by detailed industry. And also the third one I would look at is what you call, if you Google this, it's the census durable goods or the orders reports. Because it not only gives you an idea of what's, what, what um, shipments are gonna be, but it also gives you an idea of future looking of what orders are coming. And they all do a, an excellent survey by country, by detailed industry, of where they anticipate orders are being coming over the next few months and what, what is done in the survey. If you look at those three reports, it'll give you a good benchmark overall 
of the health of manufacturing and the health of the industrial side of the US economy is by detail. And I rely on these three reports religiously. Every month I am on them and you look at it and it's all free. And I highly recommend anybody who wants just some barometer or an idea of what they want to get onto these reports. Excellent, excellent. That's very helpful. Thank you. So uh, shifting uh, gears a little bit to other factors that are impacting our economy. Before this whole pandemic hit, we had issues with trade with China. We had supply chain implications. Just this morning, as we record this podcast, um, State Department Secretary of State Pompeo announced that they are not certifying Hong Kong as an autonomous um, entity any longer from China, which is going to disrupt uh, relations with China any even more. So with everything that's taken place, there's a major change in the relationship between the U.S. and China, trade, tariffs, et cetera. So now there are big moves to make the U.S. less reliant on China for critical infrastructure, medical supplies, raw materials, et cetera. How do you see the supply chains being reshaped between the U.S. and China in the future? Well, nice question, actually. And in terms of looking at it, the idea it is not China, it's actually, it, the risk is having a supply chain where you have a majority of one source, okay? Whether it be China, it could have been India, it could have been Europe, anywhere else, if there was a problem, is that it's in one source. So if there is a disruption with that one source, right now as we have with China, then you end up with problems in terms of supply chain. Prime example is when the pandemic hit China early, there were a lot of the manufacturing sector that we supply, whether it be auto parts, electronic parts, any kind of parts that China supplies within our manufacturing sector was not producing. We could not get the materials within our own production lines. There was a big problem within that. So the issue is, is it's, it's a single source mostly. And I believe what many companies are now focusing on is saying, wait a minute, having a single source or a prime, you know, a majority of the single source dictating how it, how we have in that supply chain is, is difficult. So diversification is the issue is not so much bringing it onshore here in the United States. If, if we have any supply disruptions in the United States, that's going to have the same problem. So what they're gonna do is, I think many companies will be looking at diversifying the supply chain. Maybe Asia, a little bit of China, Vietnam, Thailand, going into India, many other sources, kind of diversifying within the whole region, okay? Within Asia, maybe having some of that supply into Latin America, maybe looking at Mexico or Canada again, or in Europe. The idea is not necessarily the security is to bring it here home in the United States. The security is, is diversify. Make sure that you are not relying any one major region or area or one major supplier for your supply chain. Because if there is a problem, then you are in trouble and everything backs up. So that's what I think you will be seeing much more in terms of manufacturing is focusing on that. Yeah, I saw a term I guess there was a, a panel that was held recently and they were discussing the panel and 
near onshoring, nearshoring, and somebody coined the term um, uh, of sure shoring. <laughs> or reshoring um, somewhere, correct, other than just having the single source. Yeah. Great, Final example, great. if you bring it here, as we, for example, in the food sector, with, with uh, the issues right now that occurred with the, the, the meat processing plants, okay? There's a supply chain issue and that's a domestic market, okay? And look what happens because it's mostly concentrated in the United States. So if there was more diversification elsewhere or around not so much on the major players, then you wouldn't have that issue. So that is the, really the word that you have. Smooth is still my favorite word, not the diversification. <laughs> yeah, three, this discussion has reinforced that. Well, as we wrap up, let me just give you the opportunity to share any final thoughts on the economy and any guidance that you might have for us. Yes, one thing is to stay on top of the news, stay on top of information. There's an axiom in forecasting because in forecasting, everything else is, you know, people, especially in e economic forecasting, you know, it always changes. And many times you're wrong. And the idea is I forecast and if I can defend my forecast for the reasons that I feel strong about it. And the idea is though, there's many things that happen changingly constantly. We forecast every month. We had just this morning, we had a, a what we call a steering committee meeting. A lot of people on our, you know, a call where everybody and every expert gives analysis and their perspective of what's going on in their field of specialization providing updates and where they see things going on. So there's an axiom in forecasting. If you're gonna forecast, forecast often because things change so rapidly. So you do have to stay on top of it. And we will be forecasting again next month and the month after that. You know, it's not having wild swings, but migrating and feeling how the changes are and the giving your out outlook. That is really giving a good perspective on the forecast analysis is how you make changes to the adjustments in the current events. And that's, that's a key. And staying on top of the news and maybe looking at some of the reports that I gave you, the three, three aspects is, is really a big help. Great. Well, thank you very much. I'm very grateful for the time you shared with, uh, with us today. And uh, I hope that we can talk again sometime in the future. And uh, in the meantime, I wish you a smooth sailing. Oh, I like that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. It's a pleasure. My pleasure.